Hey, grab your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 14. I've missed saying that. Open your Bibles, turn to Joshua. And today we're in chapter 14. And I've also missed hearing the sound of pages turning in people's Bible. Uh, Sorry, digital guys. I just love the sound of pages turning. Good to be back. So grateful for Pastor Cody and Pastor Eric. These last two Sundays have just heard great things as they took you through chapter 12 of Joshua and then chapter 13. Uh, Just love our staff. Uh, So blessed. Uh, I love seeing other people experience ministry. That's just been a thing for me. I love experiences. My dad was phenomenal at providing experience opportunities in life, and he kind of passed that off. And it's been so fun to watch that and see people grow in Christ and and their capacity for ministry, whether it's a lay person, whether that's a person as a full-time staff person. Um, I I mean, even just this morning, for me, it's just a blessing. Here I am uh, sitting and singing with you, being able to watch some uh, seasoned folks up here on the platform leading worship. Also, just to be able to to watch a senior in high school uh, leading worship. And also to be able to watch Wes. First time Wes up on the platform today and just playing guitar. So cool. Wes and Denise get married in about a month here. And um, I just love that. And uh, I just want to note along with all of that, next Sunday's a must-be-here Sunday. Um, I want to be talking with you about some exciting news regarding two of our uh, guys, two of our couples, really two families here and what's going on. And that specifically is with Pastor Cody and and Katie, and also with Nate and Amy Schmidt. And uh, I'm going to be talking in some more detail. It's not they're not leaving us or heading away. I wouldn't be thrilled about it if that was the case. But uh, we're going to be talking, I'm going to be talking with you about actually what's been kind of taking place over the last eight months. And uh, there is a very unique opportunity on the table that comes around once every three years for individuals in ministry or interested in ministry to uh, have seminary training and yet be a part of a local church. And um, I'm going to talk to you next Sunday about that more and how uh, Cody and Nate are looking to take that on and be a part of that. We're excited about that and your part in that process of it. And uh, as I said, it's been about eight months of time. We've been uh, working through, seeking the Lord, working through with the elders. The the, uh, elders' wives have been a part of this through the whole process. And I'm going to be talking next Sunday some more about that. So got to be here. Cool stuff going on. Listen, we want to be a church that makes disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And uh, this is just one part of that. And uh, we're looking forward to doing that. In Joshua 14? Okay, that's where we're going to get at. Uh, I've loved this series. Uh, it's made, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. There's just times I, as I'm learning ministry and teaching that there are just times where some series are just really impacting on, on me and on, on myself. And this has been one. Uh, we are in a cool part of uh, Joshua here. Uh, Pastor Cody took you through the ending of the conquest section. Uh, Chapter 12 ends the conquest section of Joshua. And then Pastor Eric began this next phase, this settling in, this moving in. Starts out with the inheritance as he talked about last week and helping us see what's real inheritance. And and whenever I think of moving, uh, my childhood comes to mind. Um, I don't know if you know, but I grew up moving quite a bit. Uh, When I was in high school, I went to four high schools in four different states. Uh, It's a challenge keeping from the law. Just kidding, just kidding. A little delayed there. 
but uh, at least I, I think. <laughs> um, but whenever the topic of moving comes up, a number of things for me just churn inside of me. And I don't know if, if you were a child or a teen and you moved at that time. And you remember, I'm kind of calling it in relation to Joshua, kind of the conquest time. And I mean, that was with, I remember my dad going through the decision of, he had a job offer in Michigan and a job offer in Minnesota. And at that time we happened to be in Pennsylvania. And so it was the start of my senior year where I didn't know whether I was going to be going to school in Michigan or Minnesota. And and uh, just him wrestling through that decision was a real challenge for my dad to do that. And finally decided on Minnesota. And I'm so thrilled about that because it was in that high school there my senior year that I met Karen. And uh, life's just been beautiful ever since. Um, and I married a Minnesota girl, well, really an L.A. girl. But she moved there her year, senior year as well. But I just remember wrestling through that. But then the part I really remember is kind of the moving and the settling in part. I, I don't know if, if you remember that. There's a uh, positioning for territory. I remember sometimes we'd go with our parents, not often. I think that was, now I understand why, to look for a house. But uh, then when you had the house and then the room thing, and you started positioning for what room was going to be yours and were you going to have a room by yourself or were you going to be sharing a room? I was the youngest of three brothers or was I going to have to be again sharing a room with Dave, my middle brother and, and all that was going on. And then it's like, I like this room. And, and then, you know, mom and dad were really good as a plurality. They came in and they made the decision on what territory we got. And even then when we were allotted that territory, we all of a sudden within it, then we started dividing the lines within the territory. You know, this is my side of the room, Dave. And you know, my side of the room, Doug, and, and we were working all through that. I just tell you, uh, this whole settling in, moving in is an incredible opportunity for drama. Lots and lots of drama. And we are in the settling in portion of Joshua. And this is an amazing time for them. They've in, in it, essentially taken the promised land still areas yet to be to be taken but now they're going to settle in is drama going to happen is disunity going to come to the table is this going to become a mess well that's where we're at and let's begin by uh this territorial settling in chapter uh as we start here god open your word to us show us more of you Help us to know you better so we can live for you better. In Christ's name, amen. What book of the Bible are we in? What chapter? Verse one. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers, houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Pause real quick. Plurality of leadership. You see this throughout the Old Testament. Uh, you see here a plurality of leadership, uh, each unique. I mean, Eliezer, the priest, had a unique role than did Joshua and then did the, the fathers of the people. Joshua had a unique role from Eliezer as well as the others, uh, uh, the heads of the fathers in there. But it was a plurality of leadership together. We, we as, a, as a church, we, we function under a, a plurality of elders here and working together as team and, and, and unique and yet together in it. Verse two, their inheritance was by lot. 
Now, you, in our day, we kind of instantly think real estate there, and it is real estate, talking about the concept of real estate, but it's not like a lot in a neighborhood. You know, you come in, and there's lot A, and there's lot B, and there's lot... It's not by lot like that. What this is talking about is this is more like um, Las Vegas. Um, this is really, by lot is, is they're kind of rolling the dice. Okay, you tribe, uh, which piece is yours? Snake eyes. Uh, you know, however, that goes, essentially, that's what's happening. I don't want to just put it in there. There, there. There's a huge amount of trust in that. There's also a huge opportunity for disunity in that. Well, let's keep reading because look at this. this uh, their inheritance was by lot, uh, divinely so, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one half tribes. Uh, Eric was talking last week about chapter 13, uh, about the two and a half tribes on the Transjordan side, on the uh, the west side of the Jordan. Now the other nine and a half tribes is kind of the area we're getting into now. The nine, uh, nine and a half tribes are beyond the Jordan. Look at this next statement, very interesting. But to the Levites, he gave no inheritance among them. Everybody got a section, but these poor Levites. By the way, the Levites are kind of like the priests, if you will. And uh, they, they don't get squat. You know, pastors are supposed to be poor. You know, they don't get squat. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. What's going on here? Why would God do that to his, like, main leader dudes? This is an interesting statement. Look over in chapter 13, verse 14. It says, uh, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. Huh, it's already been said. Uh, by the way, look at the following rest of the verse. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance. <laughs> we, in our day and age, are kind of going, that's it? Like the burned up stuff? Seriously, is this a joke? Oh, we don't get it. Uh, verse 33, chapter 13. Again, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. Oh, by the way, look at chapter 14, not only in verse 3, but look in verse 4 in the latter part of it. And no portion was given to the Levites in the land. Oh, by the way, turn to Joshua chapter 18, verse 7. It says, the Levites had no portion among you for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance, their heritage. Why would this statement be stated over and over and over again in this section that the Levites, they don't get nothing. They just get like burned up stuff and they get a title. Whoop! Next week. And I'll just put in this. We are so stuff driven, aren't we? Because these poor saps, they don't get squat. In fact, out of, they do get a place to live, but it's like lease. Look at this. Look at the text. Uh, verse four: For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Next week, and the and the and no portion was given to Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in. All they got are some cities; they just got a place to live. They got pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. They had no title; they owned nothing. Show us your four hundred one k. Show us your stock options. Show us what you own. Ah, I don't own squat. God gave me nothing. Hmm. Next week. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. They allotted the land. Wow. Allotting territory within a household for a family is one thing. Allotting territory for a nation. Whew. Talking about pressure. 
and talking about opportunity for drama. I mean, this is an opportunity for all of that. Uh, Let's just imagine here for a little bit, okay? Just imagine with me. Imagine that you happen to be blessed, I don't know, with a chunk of territory. Let's just imagine that. Just kind of figure that in your own head and it happens to be like a territory that is centrally located. Just, you know, Israel, where the people were at, was centrally located on the world at that time. And it's centrally located, and all around is a whole bunch of people, and really we could say the nations were around Israel and the promised land people, as you can see on the map. And, and with that, with what's going on, and, and now let's modernize this and think this. What if in all this, imagining it, if in your... You've got this territory next to a, I don't know, let's say like a major metropolitan city. And it's just like even think on top of that. What if even in your, in your territory, there was like an international airport in your backyard? I, can you imagine that? I just imagine thinking through that. And, and then on top of that, I would just say, you know, imagine all the ways that that could be built out. I mean, everybody's got different ways of thoughts and ways you could divide it and sector it out and, and orient it and totally get that. And, and imagine that you're on that plurality of the leadership team and you're tasked to design and, I don't know, let's say, let's say assign territories for ministry to happen out of this sending-based place. Just, I don't know if you can picture that in your head or not, but just kind of think that way, like if that's the case with what's going on. And, 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 and you, you, I mean, just think of the fears that could come about you're on that leadership team. I mean, one, you, you want to do it right. I mean, you want to do it right for the Lord's glory. You want to do it right so that it would be an effective sending-based place because Israel was to be a sending-based place. It wasn't just to camp out there and to clap their hands for, look what we did. This is more like a place for the nations. That's what it was designed for. That's what the Old Testament tells us. And, and it was, we also wanted to be able to do it for God's people so that God's people love where they live and minister. True. I mean, um, I don't know. Can you imagine that? And the drama that could come about? They allotted the land. I mean, you can see, look at this land. I mean, all this land, you're allotting a land to a nation of people. What an incredible opportunity at hand right now for all kinds of things to happen. And here they are settling into their sending base place. Imagine settling in, finally us even, settling into a sending base place. How cool would that be? What an opportunity to rejoice. What an opportunity to multiply and make disciples to the world. I don't know. I think there's some implications and applications out of these passages for us. They allotted the land. Well, we're in Joshua 14. um, And we're about now to be introduced to a guy we've never met in Joshua yet. And his name is Caleb. I want to introduce you to Caleb. And let me say this. Guys, this dude is a man. I'm talking a man. In fact, I'm talking a gladiator for God. We're going to savor this dude today. And we're going to learn from him about his God and about what it looks like to live by faith like Caleb did. Let's, let's learn from that. Let's begin chapters 14, verse 6. 
Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, let's pause before we go any further, because there's kind of two places, and I don't know if you may not know your Bible real well, you may know your Bible real well, and need to be reminded. Two things come up. Number one is, uh, who are the people of Judah? And number two, who's Caleb? Well, let's, uh, let's take some time, and I want to take some time here to help us understand who these are. Number one, Judah. Uh, Judah. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 37. Hang a left in your Bible. Go to Genesis 37 for a little bit here. Judah is the first, I'm sorry, is one of the children born to Jacob. Uh, Jacob had like 12 sons. And uh, uh, if you don't know Jacob, there's Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. Jacob Esau, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob Esau, Jacob comes out of that. And Judah is one of Jacob's sons by Leah. Uh, Also, that means that Judah is the older half-brother of Joseph. Uh, You may be familiar with Joseph. Towards the end of Genesis, he goes and becomes a vice, uh, you know, vice, I was going to say vice principal, vice president of, uh, of Egypt, essentially. And he's one of the older brothers of Joseph by uh, Jacob's other wife, uh, Rachel. No, we're not going to go to the marriage thing this morning. But they're brothers, half-brothers. And uh, let's read a little bit about J- uh, Judah here. We're in Genesis 37. The context of this is uh, uh, Joseph is the 11th child, 11th boy, and um, out of 12. And these 10 others don't like him. Uh, he's kind of dad's favorite, mom's favorite, really. And uh, they don't like him. I was the youngest of three brothers. I kind of relate from this standpoint. I can look back now and see how I was kind of a pest to my brothers at times, you know, being the youngest brother. And I think sometimes they wish they could have done this to me. Uh, But right now we join them where they have put Joseph in a pit and they're wanting to kill him. Verse 25, Genesis 37, uh, dysfunctional family, by the way. Then they, the brothers, sat down to eat. Hold on here. That little statement gives massive insight into what's going on here. I mean, they've thrown their younger brother in a pit because he's just driving him crazy. And they're looking to kill him. And they have a barbecue. Friends, it doesn't get much more callous than that. I'm convinced that they would have had to been a long way away not to hear Joseph screaming out of the pit. I think it's very likely that they could have been within listening distance to where Joseph was in the pit. Can you imagine that? Your younger brother, oh, get me out, come on, come on, get me out. And you're just eating away. Issues. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh and on their way to carrying it down to Egypt. And then who? Judah said to his brothers, hey, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. I'm, not, I'm a little confused by this statement in many ways from Judah, and I, honestly, I don't know. Was there guilt with Judah? And so on the one hand, I kind of give him props for it's like, okay, he's trying to spare his life and yet cut a deal with his brothers to make this go okay. Or was actually Judah kind of like, listen, we're going to take him out. We're not going to get anything from this. Let's at least get some cash. I don't know. Either way, Judah's got some issues with his brothers. 
Hey, side point. Caleb comes out of this tribe. Judah is the one who then later on, out of him, like the other 12 tribes out of each of the brothers, this is the line of Judah. Caleb comes from the line of Judah. And nowadays we oftentimes so have the thing to where depending on the past for your generation of the past, you're stuck. No. Listen, we're going to find out Caleb is a man who is kicking it out for the Lord God of the universe. And he's got that in his past. Hey, there's hope for you. If you've got a past in a family, whether it's been recent or decades ago, my grandfather used to be the town drunk and those kinds of things. Listen, if it's that kind of stuff for you, I want to give you hope out of this reality here as a sidebar item. You're not doomed. God can turn things around and you can be the start of a whole new generation that per, uh, pursues after the Lord. Just a great story out of that. But this is who Judah is. And this is the line, and this is the people of Judah come out of this. That's Judah and the people of Judah. Next, who's Caleb? Let's uh, turn to Numbers 13. A little bit of a left from, uh, it's between Genesis and, and Joshua. Let's go to Numbers 13, and let's learn a little bit about Caleb. We're going to go back 45 years and uh, learn the story of Caleb. Numbers chapter 13 here. I want to read through some of this because it's just import, too important not to. Caleb is a descendant of Judah. He's a key man in the tribe. We'll see here, this is 45 years earlier. Uh, Moses is leading at the time. Chapter 13, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Spy out promised land. Uh, They're out of Egypt. They're not in the promised land yet, which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. Got it? So this isn't just some guy who drew the short straw, okay? This is a chief among the tribe. And so in the tribe, and you look down verse 6 from the tribe of Judah, Caleb is selected. Uh, By the way, and then in verse 8 from the tribe of Ephraim, it's a different spelling of Joshua, but Joshua is selected. These are guys who have some serious positions within their tribes. Let's pick up verse 17, and I want to read all the way into chapter 14 here so we understand the story. 45 years ago, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, "Uh, go up into the Negeb, go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are, are strong or weak, whether they are few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether it has trees or not, be of good courage, bring some of the fruit of the land. Now is the, now is the time, the season, the first grapes were coming up. Uh, this just gives you some insight. These people come out of Egypt. They're wandering for this period of time right now. And in it, uh, Moses says, hey, we're going to send some people, 12 guys from each of the 12 tribes. And we're going to take a look at this land because I don't have the foggiest idea what it's like. They had no Google Maps. So in the time, they don't know what it's like. They don't know what the crops are like. God just said, well, I got a promise line for you. This is it. And they're like, hey, let's go check out what God's given us uh, in the future. And so that's what's happening. So they went up, verse 21, spied out the land from the wilderness of Zinda, Rahab, and so on and so forth. They went into here and they went into there. By the way, I just want to note in 22, it says Hebron. Um, later in 45 years later, that has implications. Verse 23, and they came to the valley of this other place. They cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought pomegranates and figs. And um, 
verse 25, at the end of how many days? 40 days. Please understand, this little spy mission wasn't an overnight like trick-or-treat thing. This wasn't a week going to camp thing. How many days? 40 days. 40 days is a lot of time. 40 days is a lot of time to search and to walk and to tread and to pick up and to, uh, to, to reason through your head every night. So 40 days means like about 40 nights. And so 40 nights to sleep on it to consider what's happening and what this is all like and what kind of report do I, do I draw up to give back. This is a lot of cognitive thinking taking place during this data gathering time. 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, verse 26, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Look at this fruit. And they told him, uh, we came to the land to which you said it, it flows with milk and honey. <laughs> we, we were just kind of like, what was this, like Oompa Loompa land? Um, but that, that's what, for them, it was just like, this, it, it's fruits. It's, this is amazing. This is an amazing place. Next word. I have the English Standard Version. However, I think New International, others is but. It's amazing, but, but what? I've got my Bible underlined the next two words. But the people. We learn out of this whole story 45 years ago uh, from Joshua 14, what people focus on. And here they're like, the land's awesome, and but the people. But the people who dwell in the land, they're strong. And the cities are fortified and they're huge. Uh, Why would that be a big deal? They're strong. That means war. They're huge. That means lots of war capability. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. These are huge people. These are like Goliath-like people. We'll just put it that way. These are like WWF dudes, Goliath-sized. Where's the focus in all this? I get it. If I came back, and frankly, I think Caleb and Joshua came back and thought, studs, huge. Whoa. They go on to say the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the, the Canaanites, they're all there. Verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Picture this. They come back and the people are gathered. We, we understand that this is not just a meeting of like Moses and Aaron and then these 12 guys. It's clearly in the text. It's talking about this idea of the people are there. How many? I don't know uh, in that, but there's a good group. So let's just even say it's this size. Let's just say that. And so they come back. It's like, the land is awesome, you guys. I'm telling you, it's amazing. 23 acres. No, you know, it's just awesome with what's happening and, and all this kind of stuff. And then they go, but I'm telling you, the people are huge. You know, WWF, they're like three feet taller than all those guys, but just as big as them. And they've got Uzis and they've got tanks. And it's like, we're just like a bunch of desert nomads. And you're all like, ah! (laughs) Not sick. 
Okay. <laughs> I sound like a dying cat. Okay. And you're all like, no, no. And then Caleb's like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Wait a second. Stop it. Everybody, hold on. Hold the business. Moses and Aaron, you got to listen to me on this. Yes, the land is amazing. Let us go up at once. Not next week. Not next month. Not a year from now. But here's Caleb. Now. Whoa. Just the peer pressure alone. What a gladiator. And he's 40 years old in this time. Dude. It's really interesting too. We don't hear anything from Joshua. It's really cool. But Caleb stops them all at this point in time. It's like, no, let's go up at once and let's occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Hey, do, do know this. This is not the power of positive thinking. Okay? Why is Caleb saying this? Because Caleb knows that God has already said, I've gone before, I've won it, it's yours, go take it. This is such an understanding of what do you focus on? But the people, but the circumstances, but the situation. No, but what has God said? And who are you going to choose to go with? Oh, let's keep reading. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied it out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the huge dudes. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seemed to them. Chapter 14, then all the congregation raided a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Oh, that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? Here's one. Because God doesn't know what he's doing. He isn't even aware of where we're at. He's not aware of those people. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. God is just stupid. He's probably like in a rocking chair, eyes closed, drool hanging down, totally oblivious to what's going on in my life. Wow, do you see where this goes? Do you see where this goes? Why is this Lord, why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? He never said that. Our wives and our little ones will become prey. I understand being concerned about that. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Are you kidding me? What they're saying is, let's go be slaves again. This situation is so bad, let's just be slaves. Oh, isn't it incredible for you and I? I get this. Isn't it incredible how our present circumstances have a way of just coming in and being a cancer to our whole perspective on life in the Lord? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel 
and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. No, you guys, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord, do you see the focus? Not the people. The Lord, that's where they go to. That's where their mind hits. That's who they're talking about. That's the person that they're referring to. Listen, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and he will give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Like, let's just go eat them up. (laughs) Man, gladiator. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Boom. Do not fear them. (laughs) I wonder how they're going to respond. Then all the congregation said to stone them. (laughs) How to win friends and influence people. 45 years later, we're in Joshua 14. And I know I've taken you on an extended journey there. But let's just go to Joshua 14 and, and read the text. I think it all fits here. That's been in the past. Joshua 14, verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua, Gilgal, the Caleb, the son of Jephiel. You know that the Lord said to Moses, here's what's going on. All of a sudden, Caleb comes together to meet with Joshua. This is, this is the, the two men from 45 years ago, who stood up for the Lord. They're the only two men living from the entire prior generation. These are two war veterans. Two war veterans now coming face to face. And Caleb says to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. Obviously that wasn't in the text, but Joshua knows what it is. Verse seven, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. By the way, I don't think that's an arrogant statement. That was a truth statement. He's not pounding his chest as an arrogant gladiator right here. He's just saying what happened. And Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Even Moses confirms it. Verse 10, Caleb says, and now behold, The Lord has kept me alive. I love that statement. You you can't read that and just go willy-nilly past it. The Lord has kept him alive. The Lord has kept him alive through an entire generation dying off. Yet he and Joshua were the only two that remained alive out of that generation. The Lord kept him alive during all the time after that generation died off and for the last seven years that they've been in the conquest of the battle. This dude is 85 years old and from 77 to 85, he's been in battle. This dude has been in battle. He hasn't been kicking it out at the beach, at the senior citizen's home. I'm not saying nothing's wrong with that, but I'm saying that hasn't been him. 
He's been in war. So when he makes that statement, the Lord has kept me alive. Literally, the Lord has kept him alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke the word of Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, Joshua, I am this day 85 years old. I love this. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is still as my, my, my strength now is as strong as it was then for war and for going and coming. Oh. There was kind of a time in high school in sports when I was the best condition I was in. I kind of had, I don't know, uh, maybe a six pack abs. Yeah, one pack. 45 years later, if you will, one pack today. And this guy's 85. Verse 12, so now, Joshua, give me this hill country. What kind of country? Hill country, which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim, the big boys, were there with great fortified cities. I love this. It may be that the Lord will be with me. It may be that I don't, and God takes me. That's okay. But it may be that the Lord be with me even now and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Dude, you are an animal. I'll jump ahead here. Caleb is a gladiator story. Caleb is about a living by faith story. We don't honor the man, but we learn from him. And living by faith. Let me give a definition, and then I want to give five, uh, five apps to this. Living by uh, faith. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Faith is believing the word of God. I have a question for you. Do you believe the word of God? If you're going to, before you answer that, you have to know the word of God. And by the way, I'm not asking, do you know what other people have said about the word of God? I'm not asking what you think you might know about the word of God. I'm asking, do you know the word of God? Let's be intellectually straight up. Do you know what God's word has to say? If this is God's word, wouldn't you think we would want to be people that know this thing? What God has to say before you can come to any kind of conclusion on whether you want to believe it or not, you have to know what it has to say. And if you haven't gotten to the place where you can say, I really know what God's word has to say, I really understand it, then that's where you need to start today. You need to get to know God's word. Then I ask the question out of that, if you know what God has to say, do you believe what God has to say? You see, today we live in, if you go to most secular universities today, in the reality of that secular universities, there's a lot of people who know about the word of God all over the place, but they don't believe in it. In fact, their whole purpose of life is to be able to tell you about how it's just a bunch of crock. You can know it, but not believe in it. So I'm asking, do you know the word of God and do you believe in the word of God? And let's go to the third part. Do you do the word of God? Because you can know the word of God, you can believe the word of God, but not do the word of God. That was Caleb. Let's go back to the spy thing. 40 days he's going there. He's searching out the data. He's gathering, he comes back to a conclusion. He gives a report to his boss. And in the report, he has a decision to make. Do I know what God said? Because God said something about the taking over that promised land. 
and he did. And then the question is, is is he going to believe what God said? And Caleb did. And then the question is, is he going to act upon that, or is he going to fall down to the peer pressure when it really gets hard? No, no, no. Caleb was a guy who lived by faith, who believed in the word of God and acted upon it no matter how he felt. Those dudes are huge. These people can't stand me right now. Knowing that God promises a good result. Let's let God define the result. First Corinthians 16, 13. Let me just read it for you. Man, I'm coming at you. It says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. And be strong. Amen. We need Caleb men. We don't need wussies for Christ. We need gladiators for Christ. Men that act like men. Excuse me, ladies, I mean this in the right, proper way. Not men that act like women. Men that act like men. Not men that act like superheroes, because you and I are not. But men that act like men, redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about here. And Caleb's that kind of a guy. And I just go, when I grow up, I want to be more like this guy. How about you? Quickly, five things. Man, I take vacation, I still don't get the time right. Five things here. Let's buzz through them. Number one. What does living by faith look like? Number one, living by faith brings heat. Living by faith brings heat. If you're going to be a person, man, woman, teen, if you're going to be a person that lives for Jesus Christ by faith, do know this, uh, heat's going to come. Isn't it interesting? You go back to Numbers 13, 14. What did the people want to do when they stood up and lived faith in God? They wanted to stone him. (laughs) Expect the heat. And when the heat's turned up, flame in faith. Just quickly, I remember uh, when I was going through the transitional process from business into uh, vocational ministry, and um, our business, we were, Karen and I, we were both in our mid-30s at the time, and business was at its very peak in our whole history of our company, and a new product line had been introduced, and it was just going beyond what we'd ever imagined, and we were at the peak of it all, and just over time, God had been working in our lives, and Transparent, millionaire and multimillionaire was on the near horizon. And yet in the same period of time, God was working in our lives. I remember one evening in our mid-30s, in our mid-30s, standing on the porch of our house that we had built to retire in five houses ago. God teaches. Standing on the porch, and we were standing on the porch, and that evening I was talking with a an uh, elderly gentleman at church I highly respected. And he was going, Doug, help me. You're leaving all this for ministry? And it caught me back because I was like, whoa, no one's actually asked me that question in that kind of a format. And it was a good question. But I was literally answered, I guess so. And he responded to me and he said, that's stupid. And there was no laugh after it. 
Sometimes the heat comes. At school. At work. At home. Even at church. If you're going to be a living by faith person, understand the heat's coming. Secondly, living by faith not only brings heat, but it brings a reward. This whole Joshua 14 thing is about God rewarding. Caleb knew for 45 years that a reward was coming. Not for 45 days, not for 45 hours. For 45 years this dude waited for this thing. And yet there's a reward in it all. And Caleb, if you will, is in a rightful way. He's cashing in on the reward that God had promised. And it reminds me of Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you believe that God is stingy with his stuff or that God rewards? God rewards. It says you gotta understand that. But here's the deal. Let him determine the reward. My cash account isn't increasing. That may not be God's reward. But God rewards, and that's what's happening here with the whole process of it. Oh, by the way, the Levites, they got nothing. The Levites got the cream of the crop as a reward from the Lord. Third, living by faith requires patience and humility. Notice Caleb's patience in this. 45 years. He waited for God's reward for 45 years. He's been living in view of God's reward for 45 years. Are you? Are you living in light of God's reward ahead? I don't know, maybe that's even when it's like, I'm gonna see you face to face, eternity with you. Living for that. And notice the humility in this. He's going to Joshua. Isn't that interesting? Caleb was the one who was the vocal piece then. Joshua now is God's appointed leader at this point in time. And yet we don't see Caleb coming to him to go, dude, give me my stuff. We literally see him coming with Joshua. Now's the time. Joshua, how about we do what God had said way back then? I love this. This guy, this guy is showing humility, a submissive mindset to God-given authority. And even in verse 12, he, I love that. It may be that the Lord be with me. He's even submissive to the Lord. Fourth, living by faith gets the connections. Gets the connections. Life is a series of faith events. What you do today, how you respond today, influences and impacts how you respond tomorrow. David, when he's before Goliath, go read the story. David says, I can take down Goliath because God took down the bear and the lion. Thoughts. That's the connections. Daniel didn't go to the lion's den when he was a teenager. Daniel went to the lion's den when he was an old man after years and years and years and years and years of experience in living by faith. It's all connected with it. There's a principle called, uh, I've heard it as, just add 10, just add 10 to it. Parents, a lot of times parents are kind of like, you know, it's just a stage my kid's going through. Really? Really? They're sinning on time. They're sinning right on time and you need to help them grow out of that and you need to work on their heart. It's not just a stage, it's a life stage. And I understand some kids are harder than others. We had both. And in that, but it's like persevere in it. Oh, persevere in it. It's connected together. They don't grow out of sin. Teens, everyone just goes through it. Oftentimes people think, ah, no, they don't. We all go through it. It's all of life, but we need to grow and mature through it all. I'm just going to add another one here, premarital sex. Growing up in it, it's like, you just don't do that. Good boys, good girls just don't do that. I wish that would have been enough. 
I'll just be transparent. I wish that would have been enough for me. But in all this, we forget the connection points. We forget the reality that how you are living and residing in your dating life impacts your married life. And so many people are fooled into thinking, it's okay now. No, it's not. Listen, the attitude and the mindset right now is about what I get, not about what I give. Premarital sex is selfish sex. And then when we get into marriage, it just keeps on going. The dots connect. The dots connect. Last, living by faith is an accelerating faith. You don't get there. You keep going there. More faith. More faith. Hey, seasoned adults, more, more, more God, more faith, God. I mean, look, at, look at Caleb here. He's 85 years old. Don't give me the beach. Don't give me the flat country. Give me the hill country. And by the way, give me the hill country where the Anakins or whatever their names are. Give me the big boys. Because I want to finish accelerating across the finish line in faith for God. That's what we're talking about, folks. I'm growing. We need to be growing. We need to kick it up. Don't just live life. How boring is that? How typical is that? Let's suck it up. Let's know what God has said. And let's charge it. And let's go. And let's cross accelerating. Not on the down. Lord God, I'm cranked up. I love these people. I love this job. I love this place. And your word is just so stunning. It's just so bold. It's just so strong. It's so rich, Lord. Oh, God. We need your help. Because it's easy to talk. It's hard to do. And Lord, we do not worship Caleb this morning. Oh my, I hope that isn't coming across. We worship the God of Caleb. And in it, we learn from Caleb. Thank you for men like that. Thank you for women of the scriptures like that. Oh God, I pray we would be more like that. I just pray right now, maybe there's someone or some people in here who are getting the heat. They're feeling the heat. Lord, I pray that they would be humble enough to step back and learn from it. To maybe even hear, maybe they need to hear what's being said. And yet maybe they need to stand strong in it. Oh God, sustain them. Lord, you're a God that rewards. your blessings just pour it out Lord God may we be a people that are increasingly patient and humility humble about it your time your way 
for you. And Lord, what we do today impacts tomorrow and next week and the weeks after and the months after and the years after. What we do today connects. Go God. It connects because we're to be accelerating for you. So I pray that we would step back and ask the question with what's going in our life right now today, Lord. What do I need to do to start living by faith increasingly so in it? You are stunning. Amaze us. Just amaze us. Beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray.